All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Welcome back to part two. Before the break, we reviewed version one and two, so to speak, of Skeptico. And now we'll soon move on to number three. But I think we left some loose ends. So first, uh, I want to ask you, we mentioned that someone started the forum. We mentioned this friend of yours who interviewed you. But um, I, I didn't get to ask you about the open source science website, uh, I, I sent you one, uh, but I don't think that's the same one. It looks weird, the one I sent you on Telegram. So if you could explain briefly this open source science thing. Open source science, I think we kind of covered before. So I had this idea that there could be, that experiments could help this situation. And that if we threw more data at it. Oh, okay. So, so that's the vehicle you did experiments through. Exactly. Right, right. But didn't you cooperate with someone there? I kept trying to pull people in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've tried to pull so many people in. Anna, is, no, you know, Annelise Ventola. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, she's she's super nice. I haven't stayed in contact with her. Again, this is kind of like. Did you did you stay in contact with Oystein, the Norwegian guy? Uh, you know, I've I've talked to him no over the years, just a couple times. I mean, he went down a different. Right. He went down a different path, but uh, yeah, I talked to him at at one point. You know, it's it's just funny. I mean. This has been such an awesome, awesome part of my life. And like I was telling you about the forum, I love that people come in and then move out or people come in and they're there because I'd offer them a little bit of money to go do something and then they moved out or they weren't really that interested or they didn't have the same, you know, I mean, I'm crazy about, you know, this kind of, so that all happens, you know, yeah. that's so just, you know, as far as shouting out, I mean, the people that I am just... I'm I'm just indebted to, and I feel like have just shaped me, not just the show, it's shaped me, because that's what it's really all about, are some of the tremendous guests that I've had on, you know, right. really, really, really. But did you have like, like, you had some people who, uh, I know one was a hosting, uh, I mean, even Gordon has hosted a show, but you have had guest I've hosts? I've offered, I've like, yeah, I mean... Multiple people have guest hosted. I love for people to guest host. I love for people to get involved in reaching out to people who might want to be on the show. But that was kind of later in the game. You know, after you do it a few hundred times, you're like, I want other people to have that, to have that fun, or not that fun, but that feeling of wanting to know something and then finding out that it's somewhat knowable. You know, if you... Mm. If you go and you pursue the truth, like we're talking about, sometimes you find it. And that's kind of a real kind of thing. So, but anyways, yeah, my buddy um, from uh, down there in Florida State has hosted a couple of shows for me. The guy who interviewed for number 200? No, no, no. Uh, this guy, he's a professor. Dr. Rich Greco is the guy who has done multiple shows for me and was really, really helpful. What, was he, he the guy who, who did the Shermer thing with you? He really nailed Shermer. I don't remember that one. I think it was show number three or four very early. Oh, no, no. It, it was so weird because I was listening to it. You didn't say, I mean, 
<laughs> you were amateurs back then, but from out of nowhere, another voice started to ask questions of Shermer. <laughs> what the fuck happened? I'm in a different idiot, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah, then I was for him for a while, and then we forgot all about you, and then suddenly you came in at the end. So uh, that was a chap, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah. Is there anything else to say about the second period? Because uh, this guy, you, you made show 200. I think already then you were moving on to, starting to move on to Skeptical 3.0. Not long after that. But that guy, he did a very useful thing. He divided typical skeptics that like stuff like this, but he divided your shows thematically in percentages. And and the E's were twenty five percent back then because you did uh, you went on a huge wave in Skeptical two o, anything to do with uh, death, yes, not just N D E, and that's interesting, right? Because you start out uh, materialism or spiritualism, whatever, and then you know the next level at the mountain is, of course, okay, we have to go to death because that's the clue, that's the secret, that's where everything is. So the death period is completely logical as the next step of of uh, truth seeking and consciousness. Consciousness is key. Consciousness, death, reincarnation. Can I can I interject something? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm just spitballing. I, I love where you went with that, but you almost take it from more of a kind of mystic standpoint because I think that's your background and that's your understanding. Mm. And I kind of come around full circle in that I didn't exactly see it that way. I saw it as, a, as an extension of the science. So the science that Dean Radin was doing and Rupert Sheldrake was doing was, to me, conclusive evidence that materialism, the proposition fails, like I said, mm. but it wasn't exactly penetrating, like we're saying, you know, it wasn't getting through. Why isn't everyone else getting the message, getting the, the, mm. the, the, the newsletter on that? So I thought, wait, this is really more of a way that's uh, kind of indisputable, right? So yeah. one of the pillars of materialism is that consciousness is a phenomenon of the brain. So therefore, when you die, consciousness must end. Here are people coming back. And again, from a medical, and they're coming at it from a medical standpoint, which is kind of interesting because medicine kind of bypasses in a way some of the science bullshit and just says, hey, you know, you live or you die, you heal your arm or you don't, you know, so they had a little bit of a different perspective, but they were directly getting to this question. And I saw it as a more effective way of really answering this question in a convincing way that would convince other people. The circle back to the mystic part, I think, is that now I realize that that's why the mystics focused on death. Yeah. That's why when you become a yogi, the first thing that you do is you go look at the funeral pyre and you watch the ashes and you meditate there for days and days because mm. eventually it gets through to you that materialism is, is just... Yeah. A joke. I, I am not my body, etc. I am not my feelings. But yeah, uh, yeah no, no, totally. That's that was your focus, your perspective. But I'm, I'm just seeing it in Bert's perspective. That is so natural that the next step is to explore. Uh, and when you explore all that stuff, obviously that will because you look whatever was your motive in the first part, it led you to the second part. Skeptical one o had to come before skeptical two o. It's because of the experiences you had in Skeptical 1.0 oh, 
that you went over to Skeptical 201. And I would venture the same happened in Skeptical 2.0. What you experienced there led you to Skeptical 3.0. And with 3.0, I mean, well, you'll see what I mean. But obviously, when it, not even that helped, you were hitting people in the head with the indisputable evidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you realized consciousness is key and nobody was listening. Everyone was out for lunch. So, uh, no, not actually everyone. Let's listen to the next clip. Hey, Alex, coming at you from Grimerica. Darren and Graham just wanted to wish you a happy 15th anniversary, 15 years. And uh, I don't know how many episodes, not enough, but congratulations, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I mean, he's been so helpful for us, eh, Darren? I mean, he's been great. You know, I remember when we first started this thing in 2013, he was episode, I think he came on our show, episode 29. Um, and then I think he followed us after that because he was he was pretty helpful. He gave us a chance. You know, he was one of those guys that gave us a chance and supported us along the way. You know, like we couldn't do it without guys like Alex sort of saying, hey, you guys are on the right track here. Go for it. You know, 100 percent. And I'm sure we're not the only ones. And uh, here's to 15 more years. I mean, I'm actually I think this year I'm going to get down to. San Diego. So maybe this will be the year I finally get to meet Alex. I was looking through emails uh, going back 10, 11 years ago. Um, I was because Alex was one of these guys where uh, I'd email him, bitching to him about UFOs because I think he sloughed off UFOs. There was a couple of podcasts I was listening to and I was like, oh man, he's got to treat that. And then he and then he turned around on it. And in like 2012, he was like, oh I, yeah, it's time to, to hit this topic of UFOs kind of thing. But I always appreciated being able to communicate with a host of this show who's got all these scientists on and he's like sort of battling you know kind of at the front lines against this you know what we knew at the time was sort of a battle over consciousness and he was just on the front lines and i went through this whole phase of skeptical podcasts i went through ufos and paranormal and the skeptic skeptics guide to the universe you know those those guys and then I just got disgusted by the way they're just ridiculing people that would have sightings or strange experiences. And then, of course, Alex was right sort of in the middle. You know, he was like he was just following the data, looking at strange experiences. That's fine on one end, but not ridiculing people that uh, that had these experiences. I mean, he would sort of more ridicule the dogma of science and the scientists that are holding this together. You know, like Charles Fort would say, the. Uh, Oh, you know, this, 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 yeah, this dogma, this, this, uh, the narrator always has his little anecdote. <laughs> As Blavatsky oh, you know would say. You know what, dude? Because Alex would fit right in with Fort's, like, Fort's uh, uh, philosophy, I think. I mean, because Fort was fighting the battle that Alex was fighting back then in the early 1900s. Still going. And it's still going. This is the crazy thing. And I can't tell if we're winning or not. No, I mean, we are now. We're losing. We are now. Are In a winning? certain way, we oh. are. Well, we are. Well, usually, you the, think we're losing. This is a this is a change. We're no, not used I, to this. I mean, I'm talking about more specific materialism, new atheist battle. Like, oh, so we're gonna win that one right before we lose the uh, the big one, <laughs> the <yeah>. big one. <laughs> Yay! The go, war. Go us. <laughs> we win this little battle, and it have turned out to have been a trap. <laughs> I'm optimistic. As yeah. Well, that whole movement fell apart in the last 10 years, you know, the ones that were pushing back, the new atheists and uh, and the sort of the skeptic, the skeptical crowd, I think. That PZ Myers kind of went off the deep end, I think. That was great. That was like a paradigm. I remember being able to, I was like, so all these people, uh, the, the Hudson Valley, because we were talking about the one. Hudson Valley. 
Oh, you weren't. Oh, yeah. I I, I asked PZ of, of a mess uh, a question with the mic in front of the whole crowd about like so all these people talking about the Hudson because it was this Hudson Bay flap, right? The UFO. I mean, that was one of the biggest, most underrated. All right, we flaps should get out of here. This in, is in, an the, in the US. You know? um, <laughs> Congratulations, Alex. <laughs> Here's to 15 more years, buddy. I might go to San Diego this year. I think he's somewhere down around there. So, <laughs> of course, that was Darren and Graham. Graham, 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 and Darren from Grimerica. They touched upon uh, a few interesting things, but before that, they they go also a, a bit back. 2013, they said that's uh, how, how did you get in touch with these guys? They reached out to me. They had they had listened to the show. They were fans of the show. Hmm. They, they were talking. I think uh, Graham said the same thing to me that you've been helping them, uh, and and I think that's like I think many people have that impression because you're so enthusiastic. That's like typical for uh, idealists, uh, and people are used to that, I guess. So you're very supportive of of other people and other people's projects. It's like uh, you're coming from a place of surplus, not scarcity. It's called a new business. For those who don't know, the old business is, is scarcity driven, right? It's the competition and yes. you have to like uh, sabotage for each other, etc. But when you have the new business kind of frame of mind, then you know that no, 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 the more the merrier. So um, I don't know what, if, if that's even on your radar, but that's completely in harmony with how you're you're acting with other people. So they are very appreciating of your your contribution. Well, it's awesome. You know, like we've kind of said a couple of times, it's to be a light bringer mm. would be all that any of us could ever do in our highest contribution. So I, I don't always do that. I, I'm not perfect, but that's my goal, you know. Mm. So, But it's, it's telling because these guys, you know, I look at the, the first guy we, we had on here, um, well, the second guy, uh, Greg Calwood, he called himself, he said, uh, hi, stone or something. Yeah, kind of, kind of, but you're damn professional, Greg. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. you're far beyond a no, stoner he, level. He's, he's fronting on, he's fronting on that, ain't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but these two guys, I haven't he heard much of them, but I'm actually going on their show soon. Uh, so I'm going to do my research. They come off as more like laid back. Stoners, and I don't mean to insult them if they're not <laughs> into that kind of thing at all. I'm just saying they they more look look like they're should I say more relaxed in their approach to oh, things. Well, they're they're Canadian. They're awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome Canadians. No, I mean there right. are you know how many great Canadian uh, comedians there are and entertainers. I mean yeah. that culture breeds a certain. I've noticed that. I don't know why. Well, because because they're. They're just there's a warmth about Graham and Darren. There's a genuineness about them, and uh, like you know the the part I thought you were going to pull out of that is like, hey man, yeah, I didn't, I I wasn't woken to the UFO thing. No, that I is the part. No, no, that is the part I'm gonna. I just wanted to give them a little kudos before we go back on on track. So let's do that. Yes, they were pointing out. They were even nagging you about it, and um, I think. The UFO really is, uh, you know, skeptical 3.0. Now you've done all the 
inquiries that's possible and from your 2.0 experience you realize shit this rabbit hole goes much deeper than I thought this is when UFOs and conspiracy becomes high up on your radar if you can put it like that because uh, notice what they were talking about the battle the paradigm battle very funny uh, how they pointed it out in fact before you even comment I want to play a very brief clip listen to this before we celebrate, you know, the coming paradigm shift, I think we have to take a good look at even this brief little snippet of history and learn a lesson from that and be very cautious in our optimism that there is going to be a lot of change. I don't see a lot of evidence for it. Then again, in a recent interview with Dr. Mario Beauregard, I asked him that question directly, and I thought he had a very strong argument for the fact that there is this change. And he's a neuroscientist in Montreal, and he says, hey, at my university, at my conferences, in the, in the journals that I publish in, I definitely see a shift, a change in the openness to these ideas in the last 10 years. So maybe I'm being too pessimistic. But isn't it a little bit strange that we can walk down this path and we can all have this conversation about belief, about what's important and what we know? And we have a tendency, no matter how many times we bring it up, to gloss over the reality that we live in a world, in a society, that has made these kind of topics taboo. So that leads me to one question, and that is, why are so many of the topics we talk about on Skeptico taboo? And mind you, this was said before you went deep into UFOs and conspiracies. So even from the completely legitimate stuff, evidence-based, mainstream, academic stuff that you were flushing out. Still taboo. Can't go there. Of course, that didn't stop you from going <laughs> deeper. But but do you agree with me that Skeptical 3.0 is when your focus is shifting over to the really deep end? Yeah, it's where it really kind of comes in line with a lot of the work that you've done, I think. Yeah, I agree. And and that's when I, I think that's when we connected too. Well, you know, it's, what's funny, and it's funny listening to the Darren and Graham thing. It's like, I think that I was, I was never worried about intellectual respectability. You know, I wasn't worried about the taboo topics that then no one would. But I was somewhat influenced by the little bit of the Stockholm Syndrome thing, a little <laughs> bit of the, you know, don't go it's it's like um it's like a guy once once told me and he <laughs> and and i love this this is so true he said there's a crazy line there's a crazy line and you don't want to go past it mm. and then he proceeded to tell me that his crazy line was underground bases <laughs> i remember a few <laughs> years ago recounting this story to someone else saying now i know there's there's a pretty substantial very substantial i would say evidence for underground bases and then you can take the really exaggerated stories and maybe those aren't true and maybe those are misinformation but there's a lot of other ones where they got the vents you know and they see the cars yeah. driving into the mountain and stuff like that and they videotaped it and stuff like that so not to get too far it's afield. funny how random his his line was but that's exactly the thing. yeah but that's exactly yeah go on so so i my, i was at that point i was at that point of really pulling back a little bit and saying, you know what, if if I do cross that crazy line, what's perceived to be a crazy line, 
it is going to be another line and and it's that is a chasm that's not a line it's a chasm and once you jump over the other side it's like on the mountain analogy you're using there's a lot of people that are going to come up they're going no man don't go there no thanks i'm not jumping that line no no yeah yeah the overtone window is controlled by the powers that be right that's the educational institutions the media and it's been threatened by internet, uh, which is why they now are extending Operation Mockingbird to the internet. Well, they do right, it all the time, right. but now they're screwing the, the tight, the screws on social media. But that's the very narrow overtone window that the public can afford. Then you have individuals, and they usually have a overtone window that is a little bigger than the public one. But it can go in many different directions. Some people can have like a poly you can have like people who are aware of the political conspiracy, but they may be atheists. They have no idea. Right. You see what I mean? So you have very many. I see, see the same with Sheldrake. He is aware that Wikipedia is hijacked by this, this crazy fanatical gang, but he's aware of it in his field. Yes. He's not aware that exactly same thing is happening every other field which can be regarded as controversial somehow yes. for powerful interests yes. not who won uh, you know the football game in 2015 the championship no 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 the, oh, you can rely on wikipedia but political stuff social stuff you name it even a crime, pedophilic stuff, you name it. So people don't know that the overturn window is gigantic, really. Well, if qu you, quick, quick story, yeah? quick story that was, yeah. you know, fundamental to shifting things for me. So once you cross the chasm and you go, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go there, right? The evidence for, and, and, you know, Graham is so right to call me out for that because I knew that the UFO thing was real and I wasn't really willing to go there fully. I wasn't able to, I wasn't willing to fully engage with that because I just felt like I wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't ready. And when I said the UFO thing, it's the ET thing too, because I, I always made people will go with the UFO thing and then they'll go, yeah, but I just can't get over the, I can't get to the abduction thing. Or I can't get to the ET. Yeah, that, that's one line. And then the next line after there is abductions. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> who is driving? Who, who's flying around in those things? Anyways, but what I was going to say, as you relate to the social media, I remember, so the, and the conspiracy thing, the first thing I wake up to is JFK, because there's mm. like these million old things I would, and then I remember, I've told this story a million times, I don't know if you ever played this clip, but I'm sitting on the edge of the bed after I'd watched like 40 hours of JFK videos and saying to my wife, I said, wow, you know, that's, I guess it, it really was a conspiracy, I said, but like this 9-11 thing, oh, I could never go there. You know? mm. <laughs> so obviously 9-11 to anyone who doesn't know, obviously a conspiracy, obviously an inside job. And I remember one of the guys I was following- I mean, the official version is also a conspiracy theory. So exactly, that's, exactly. That's undisputed. But, but one of the people in this guy was on the show and he's done some great work. His name is Luke, Luke Rudkowski and he oh, has yeah. a tremendous- yeah, we are change. You yes, know, love that guy. On the streets. He's done unbelievable work over the years. Fantastic guy. But I remember Luke Rutkowski way back. This is at least seven years ago, maybe 10, but at least, at least seven years ago. He's the first guy who pointed out the demonetization and the shadow banning. Right. And it happened to him. Mm. And <clears throat> he demonstrated it. He said, here's my YouTube channel. He goes, look, 
this thing doesn't, it no longer generates any revenue. And I've called YouTube on it and I've emailed them and they just don't say anything. But here's the point of my story. I remember being out in Silicon Valley and uh, meeting this guy, I'm not gonna mention his name, but this guy's really a pretty top-notch guy. He had a lot of connections with some serious Silicon Valley people, you know, like Google and that kind of stuff. He knew some mm -hmm. people at pretty high level, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was telling him this, cause I had now been awoken to the, conspiracy game and i always remember he's like no that just that just isn't true that just can't happen they would never do that google would never do that it's fundamentally against everything they believe in well yeah. <laughs> now that that's not even that's acknowledged yeah. it's acknowledged that we shadow ban people now they brag about it yeah they brag about it it's so in your face so th this is part of this evolution that anyone goes through who seeks the truth if there is a if there is a moral to this story or if there is some theme or some arc to this story of skeptico it's that this is one of the things you encounter you keep thinking you know oh i've crossed this hill so now i'm i'm there you know and then you say well what's i wonder what's over that next hill and then you cross that one and then you realize that never really ends and it's really the journey that you're on which is yeah, yeah, what it was yeah. all about anyway yeah like gandhi said too he said that uh, um, i always mess up this quote but uh, basically you can't distinguish between the path the way and the goal they are one yes in other words of course the means doesn't justify uh how you say it in english the Gold does, the ends. Uh, the ends doesn't justify the means. It, it, it goes to that too, because the means is reflecting of your end. It's 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 like that old uh, quote. Is it Buddha? Uh, one of these wise people said, "If you want to know your your former life, look at the life you're living now. If you want to know your future life, look at the life you're living now. Ooh. It's the eternal now, right? And that's in, it's being informed by what pre uh, happened before, and it's informing where you're going. And that's the thing, because this is a callback to what we said in the beginning. When I was kudosing you for having this merciless, honest, sincere, no other agenda, just getting to the bottom of the truth. So it worked and you realized, bam, it's an artificial, it's a stuck on stupid debate. Let's move on. Bam. Number two, right? Now you deep dive into the all exciting signs on the one side, the consciousness, the death, everything. And, and you realize also the game is rigged because you're not getting any traction. You're not get, why aren't we canceling the question of who's right and what's what? Why aren't everybody just saying now, yes, consciousness is key. And that's why I would say the former clip, which ended, why is everything we do taboo? Yes. I would say that was like the last echo of Skeptical 2.0 and Skeptical 3.0, you would describe like this. I feel that the Skeptico show has gone through a couple major revisions. I always think of Skeptico 1.0 as being follow the data wherever it leads. And that was me thinking that science and skepticism was pretty much of a straight up game and we just had to dig into the science and we'd get the answers that we need. And there's some truth to that, but I think what it led to was a greater truth that I call Skeptico 2.0, at least to myself, I call it that. And that was about, it's more than the data. It's about the larger culture of science. It's about deception, conspiracy. It's about the way the world works. 
and the motivations of the individuals involved. And we've explored that a great deal on Skeptico, and it's led to some interesting places. So with that, I kind of see the show moving towards Skeptico 3.0, the data collective, how you and I can learn from each other and crowdsource this journey that I've been talking about, that I have been on, but really I've been on it with you because as you know, if you followed the show, especially recently, I've relied more and more on skeptical listeners to suggest guests. And you guys have done a fabulous job of that. There's been some great emails that really are much better than I could write to entice people to join me on the show. And they've led to some really great interviews that I've grown a lot from. But I want to take it one step further. Now, I've opened up a thread on the Skeptico Forum so I can take advantage of this incredible collective knowledge of the Skeptico listeners. And hopefully, you can help guide me and we can work together to figure out what direction I should take this interview. And I think that has two benefits. One, obviously, I can be better informed and ask better questions. But the other thing that I really want to get to is I've noticed so many times in the Skeptico interviews that it's really the second interview or the follow-up to the first interview where some of the main meatiest issues really get resolved. It's the interview 2.0, if I can stretch the revision metaphor a little bit further. But I think that's where all the action happens. And what I'm hoping is that by you participating in helping me formulate the ideas for these upcoming interviews, we can work together, we can maybe even collect some information, have an exchange with the guest, so we can actually have a, a pre-email interview through the form, and then really get to some of the meaty stuff in the show. And I think the question here is, what direction should we take Skeptico as we evolve towards this Skeptico 3.0 that I'm talking about? A couple of areas I want to pursue further, and they really have a tendency to polarize people or maybe more accurately to really put people off. But one of the nice things about doing a show like this and not caring too much about growing your audience as much as you can or appealing to a certain crowd is that you don't have to worry if people are put off by these topics. But one topic is UFOs and the ET hypothesis. I think it's central, central. I've explored it a little bit in terms of how that might relate to consciousness, what those reports mean. But I think wrestling that to the ground and figuring out as best you can what the reality of that is, is central to answering these big picture questions. Yeah. And I call this clip On Skeptical 3.0, Community Inputs and Extending into the Deep End. Summing up a, a little what we already said, but um, uh, you, did, you're touching two things I want us to comment upon here now. One of them is you have experimented with various formats, haven't you? Because I, I, oh, yeah, you I teased you some time ago about some of your early shows were super short. And I guess <laughs> you didn't have much compersion back then because there wasn't many podcasts. So I guess a 20-minute show could fly back then. Yeah. Although, of course, to be fair, in general, they were about an hour. But I, I remember when we connected, you were like, you, you were very swayed, enticed by the idea of having long form. And uh, when I listened also to your, because all, all these statements of Alex that I'm playing today are like um, announcements or, or, or commentaries that he has given at certain turning points in the show. And so um, 
uh, in many of them you are thinking aloud yes uh, and that's also very very unique thing with your show that you always try to include the listeners and the skeptical uh, gang but you are like looking for different ways to do things uh, it's it, it, i think it's related to what we already talked about that you for example that you're doing experiments in parallel with the show that's very unique so it's like you always it's not just just that you're trying to look for new topics you're also trying to look for new ways and vehicles and we'll get to some even more laudable projects uh, a little later but right now it looks to me as if you've been open to experimenting with the format too well yeah and uh you're right to point out that when i did first time i did we did some interviews i interviewed you i think first and then you interviewed me i can't remember but or maybe you interviewed me i can't remember but yeah i i I was very, very uh, interested in what you had done and how you had done the long form interviews. And it, it just opened my eyes because, again, it's like so many things, you know, you have a block, you go, oh, yeah, nobody wants to listen to more than an hour. And then you see somebody who just really opens somebody up and it goes and it grows. Yeah, but you have taken notice of that the second show is often the breakthrough. Exactly. But you did one-hour shows. <laughs> well, because, but again, see, that's where you kind of learn from other people and I learned from you. So yeah. I, I thought my mindset was, yeah, you need more time, but you can't do it more than an hour. You can't do it more than an hour at a time. Mm. And what you've shown with these kind of deep dive kind of things, and then Brogan, you know, really broke the mold too. No one yeah. thought they could do that thing. And it, I don't think you were copying from Rogan. I think you guys both. No, no, I wasn't aware of him when I started. Right, right. So anyways, you know, you, you understood that in a way that I didn't understand. And the other thing I discovered is second shows don't work. They don't work. Two shows right. don't work. It doesn't, right. that, that idea for the format doesn't work. What does work is the longer show where you kind of let people spend an hour to, to, to wear them down and then open up in a second <laughs> <Yes>. hour. <laughs> That's a business secret. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no, but I, I learned one thing from you. I learned it very late, unfortunately, I, and I'm trying to implement it now. And that's let the guest empty himself for the first part of the interview. Let him say all the stuff without interrupting. And then you can start to tangle with the guest much more and, and do the so-called interruptions and even push them a little, etc. I don't know if that's a deliberate, I've asked you before, you never gave a clear answer. I don't know if that's a deliberate model you used or if it just grew to that or if it's just unconscious, but it's brilliant, man. And I'm going to copy it and, and, and try to do it more like that in my, my long form shows. Nice. Yeah. I don't know that I've always followed that, but you're definitely right. I've learned that the hard way, you know, isn't mm, okay. it? I mean, everybody's like that, you know, I mean, it's... No, 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 no. I would say everybody, uh, people do this in completely different ways. No, everybody needs, everybody needs, what it does is when you go on a show and you've been on enough shows, and you're probably not like this because you do a show, but if you've just written a book and you don't do a lot of shows, one of your big frustrations, one of your big anxieties is, am I going to get a chance to get my message out, you know? Right. So if you kind of... If that happens at the beginning, then there, it kind of shifts, like you're saying, you know, then there's a shift and people go, okay, yeah, I got my message out and he plugged the book 
and he asked me questions about the book. Okay, so now he's asking me other stuff. Okay, I can let my guard down. Right, right. I always make sure when it's like more like a book thing, like I know the guy at the other end is doing the rounds because it's a new book. I mean, I'm not uh, advertisement shows. I'm not having them on for that. But when that that's one of their agendas, um, I always say to them, and of course, at the end of the show, we're going to plug the book and we're going to plug other books and blah, 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 so that they know they calm down. But I'll tell you, one time you didn't do that. I mean, that format uh, that I talked about, uh, and perhaps that can explain some of the outcome of the show. That's when you had on the very fascinating sweet man called, damn, what's his name? The guy who was, I mean, he has a what talking about the deep end. He was allegedly abducted by aliens and... Uh, he was in everything, a CIA expert. Oh, Whitley, Whitley Stryber? Yeah, yeah. You didn't do it there. <laughs> on which one hit? On Remember? His... I mean, you had several. The one that uh, was turned a little funny, where you wanted to go uh, full Roman Jesus on him, and he could relate so much well, to you, you know what? I, uh, God, I don't know. This is going to be boring as heck for people, just all these old stories. But Whitley's a very recent story in terms of Skeptico. And Whitley Stryber is a super important person in our culture, in our whole entire culture. He is super, super important guy. He wrote the book Communion, which was a just phenomenal international bestseller, but it wasn't just a bestseller. It was a culture changer. It was in the bookstores and people walked by and they saw that picture of an alien and they went, oh my God, it brought back memories of them being abducted. And this happened so many times. Well, Whitley has a very interesting background too. Whitley was MK Ultra, man. Right, right, right. And like, if people can't get there, like, like we're doing this whole retrospective, you know, kind of thing, which is so awesome. But like, I would have, I could have never used those words, you know, 10, 15 years ago. He was MK Ultra. I could have never said it with just the matter of fact way I'm saying it now. But it's the truth. And that's what he says. That's what he says happened to him. And then you can say, well, oh, he's making that up. That's not credible. Well, it would be less credible if we didn't have concrete evidence that they were MK altering all sorts yeah, of people. Yeah. And then some of them went on to be serial killers and, you know, all the rest of this stuff. So once you start unpacking that and then you put that into the lens of ET, you know, then you got this other thing. But then you got to listen, you got to go full skeptical on it. You say, Whitley, that doesn't give you a pass for then hypothesizing that the Roman collapse was due to environmentalism and the same kind of thing we're facing with global warming today. Full stop. Global warming isn't supported by the science. The science doesn't support that. All those islands, they said they were going to be flooded. They're not flooded. They're still there. Antarctica, go look at the satellite photos of the ice. There's more ice there now than there was 30 years ago or 25 years ago when our... our no, but now it's climate change, you know, because then they, they don't have to stick to... The point to is the, the same. Whitley Strieber is a phenomenal person. He's a cult culturally he's super important in what he's done and he's telling the truth but he's not right about 
<laughs> he's not right about the Roman history. He's not right about Jesus. If he is right, I mean, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. I don't know. But he's got to stand up and he's got to take the grilling. And I think he was really surprised because we we're getting along and all this other stuff. And I go, wait, you can't go there. Yeah, you had it on before uh, with a more harmonious interview. But I think you. my point was just that you were derivating from the formula there. So maybe if he had, he was frustrated that he couldn't tell you what the book was about. You you didn't seem interested in that. So if he he had gotten that first period to empty himself, and then you'd you know go Josephism on him, maybe it would be different. But it, it was just an example. Maybe it's not important. Maybe it would. the The point being, I I know what you're saying with regard to that, but it's like one of my pet peeves, and this is more inside baseball podcaster stuff. Yeah is that people who feel like uh, because they've written a book that all the questions, you know, have to be directly out of the book. You know, I always remember when I interviewed uh, Colonel, uh, Colonel John Alexander, who is super interesting, super, super interesting guy and important guy in the whole UFO thing. And I did a very fair job on his book. And then I kind of grilled him on some really, really hard questions. He got really mad at me at the end. And he said, I know people and this kind of thing. But, you know, I, I, my thing was like, hey, you had a shot, right? I pumped your book. I promoted your book. I announced your book a bunch of times. You got your part. Now I got my part. Mm. I get to ask my questions. Same with Whitley. Really was the same with Whitley. Yeah. It, just Whitley, if you let him, he'll go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, like it's just like this is the way it is because I wrote it down in a book. Well, not exactly. Yeah. No, there's, there's always a little quid pro quo in those um, settings. I agree. But my point is that 3.0 was digging deep into conspiracies, into UFOs, into all these taboos uh, that exist there. And I would say the transition to 4.0 is more... There's an important nuance. I think you think you're still stuck at 3.0. No, you're not. You're at 4.0. And I'll explain you what 4.0 is. But before that, listen to this. Many congratulations to Alex and happy birthday, Skeptico. You don't look a day over nine. Uh, yeah, this is Gordon from Rune Soup. And I'm just thinking back, I guess, on my Skeptico journey. And I can't even remember when it began. Uh, I don't remember when or how I found Skeptico, but it was about a decade ago. Uh, and I remember when I did, because I was still having those long London commutes, uh, Alex's voice and his quest uh, and his continuous seeking were just eye-opening and, and wonderful. On uh, I got two hours a day, uh, which means by the time I found Skeptico, I... Uh, I was able to plumb the back catalog and uh, and really and really you know keep up to date with it ever uh, ever since then. And so it's I mean this is an amazing achievement. And I guess being a podcaster as well, one of the things that I guess I take most from my journey with or experience with Skeptico is really inspiration. I suppose uh, what I love about Skeptico and Alex in general is that he has the guests that he wants to have, he has the discussions that he wants to have, uh, and, and he goes on the quests that he wants to go on. And that, you know, as a, as a fellow creator is, is really, really inspirational. It doesn't, Skeptico never falls into that formulaic format of someone's got a book out 
uh, and then they, they do the rounds of shows. That might happen, but generally it's the things that Alex wants to explore and Alex wants to talk about, and I think that's why we all stick with it, right? Because we are following along with a sincere seeker with no other motivation other than the seeking. So once again, congratulations, many happy returns, happy birthday to one of the best podcasts out there, and uh, and long may it continue. Of course, that's Gordon White from the brilliant blog slash podcast Rune Soup. It's it's funny, Alex, because <laughs> we're talking about the other guys that, like, if Gordon is very dry, and if the Grimerica folks is on the op- polar opposites, very loose, then uh, I, I would put Greg Carlwood uh, somewhere in between <laughs> those two poles. <laughs> yes. Maybe you don't yes. agree. Okay. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. It's so, it's so awesome hearing from these people. Uh, it's, it's so, so nice of you to do this. It really is. So, so what was your, I mean, Gordon, even, and I'm doing it now, guest hosting. How did he end up guest hosting? How did you connect? Gordon just reached out, like he said, he had heard the show and, you know, it, it was topics he was interested in and yeah. It was... Did he have his famous blog then or? No. Well, Gordon no, said. No, I, let me correct that. Let me correct that. He might've had, he, no, I don't think he had, I'm almost sure he didn't have Rune Soup, but he definitely didn't have a podcast or had done any interviews. No, because he started when I started in 15. Um, and he got interested in it and I was like, he was a little bit hesitant and I said, hey, why don't you do once you guest host Skeptico as kind of a way to kind of ah, so he did that before he launched his own, right? Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because and I, I know he had his famous blog that people were following. People were big on blogs in the old days. Well, a little older days than now. Well, they still kind of are, but blogs were a big thing uh, for a while. Very hyped. Yeah, he had some success with his, and then he went full podcast. And I, I'm not to put words in his mouth. He spoke for himself, but he did mention the word inspiration. And I do think you've influenced a lot of of people out there uh, when they started. All of the people we've heard from now started after you. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> most most of the internet started after you. So well, Gordon, yeah, you want to say something? You know, Gordon, as soon as you as soon as you kind of dip into stuff, so you, Gordon's brilliant, and uh, his writing is phenomenal. Yeah. And I always I always thought his blog was fantastic, and I like his podcast too. But his writing is just really the thin red line. I, I was really a bummer when he uh, when he ended that little newsletter that he used to do. But still, a lot of great stuff. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to play him now was that he uh, is symbolic, I think, of Skeptical 4.0. Because if in 3.0, you, you have realized the game is rigged. Now you want to explore all these crazy things. You want to go behind the crazy line. That you do very well in 3.0. But in 4.0, it's becoming more existential. Now you know it's a conspiracy. Now you have to understand why is the game rigged? Why is there... So you're becoming more philosophical, I perceive. You're meeting me in this space. And Gordon, I think, is a good representative of that space. And um, let's just just listen to your account of Skeptical 4.0, existentialism and philosophy, as I call it. You do it by asking four essential questions. 
Bear with us, folks. It's one of the last clips, but it's it's a long one. But it's an excellent one. It really it really nails everything down for your journey up to this point here, uh, when you read this four essential questions. Four questions that are driving me right now in terms of what I'm thinking about with future shows. And as I've said all along about Skeptico, I've always viewed this as my personal journey shared with you, but that's holding something back because it's really a collective journey. Your input and your feedback really does make this an interactive process for me, but I'd like to hold on to the idea that this really is my personal journey and I decide where it goes. So if you'll allow me that little kind of egocentric kind of thing, I'm going to hold on to what I think are the four questions that are driving me forward in terms of Skeptico at this point. Question number one, are we biological robots in a meaningless universe? As you know from listening to this show, that really isn't the question for me anymore. I mean, it really was my question initially a few years back. But now the question for me is, how can this still be propped up as a real question among what are supposed to be the intellectual elites of science? It's really a strange, strange situation. And I think we have to continue to dive into that question head on, you know, head on, not just keep proving them wrong, baby, proving them wrong, but saying, how and why are they promoting such nonsense? So that's question number one. You ready for question number two? And it's an absolute huge one. Is there a reality? Is our normal, I'm using air quotes there, psychological state to be this experience of fundamental discontentment? And actually, I don't even know how anyone can deny that. I mean, that's just everywhere. <laughs> that's what our culture is. But the second part of the question is really the most significant. And that is, is there a way to change that? And let's marry that to the first half of the first question, the question I didn't ask, are we biological robots in a meaningless universe? So the answer is obviously no, we're not. So we have this condition, we're in this predicament. And then is this predicament that our mind has created this continual dialogue of fundamental dissatisfaction with the way things are? And is it possible to change that state, that consciousness? Is it possible to raise it? Of course, this is what so many spiritual teachers throughout time have been telling us is possible, that there is a way to transcend that state. And I'm holding back from the, any kind of talk about extended consciousness at this point, right? I'm trying to confine it to our reality, if you will. And all these terms are, you can shoot holes in them, as we all know. But these first two questions have to do with our reality. So again, question two is, is it possible to awaken out of that state of perpetual dissatisfaction, perpetual discontentment with that internal dialogue that's going on in our head? I think that's an important question. That's question two. So the next two questions that are driving the Skeptico mission at this point have to do with this extended consciousness thing that I always talk about. And again, the words don't exactly match up. Extended from what? I mean, what are we to make of this reality and the other reality? And why would we have this kind of dualistic, that's extended, this isn't, all those problems. But you get what I mean, right? So the third question is this transcending of time and space. So we understand at this point that there is this extended reality. There's an NDE reality, an OBE reality, an ET reality, a psychedelic DMT reality, if you want to stay with three-letter acronyms. 
what is our relationship between this reality and that reality? And more importantly, if that other reality, if one of its key characteristics is that it transcends space and time, then what does it tell us about this reality that is confined to space and time? And does it suggest, as I think it might, that this reality is a lesser reality, if you will, lesser in the sense that it's further away from the ultimate reality? And again, don't pick on my words here because there's no words to talk about this stuff, but the basic concept is there seems to be a lot of evidence pointing us to the ultimate paradigm shift that we really are looking at things from the wrong end of the telescope. We are in the unreal reality of time and space continuum where things have been locked down to work a particular way so we get this particular experience. But anyone who's outside of that says, yeah, you guys are on this little tiny tip of this huge iceberg and that's okay, you can get that experience, but don't get too attached to it because it's really such a small part of the overall thing. So that is, I think, the third question for me, is what is the relationship between this space-time reality that we occupy and we play this science game in and we play this skeptical dialogue questioning game in? What is the relationship between that reality and some of these extended realities that we will never know, but we do get bits and pieces, fragments of information back from. So we do get information back from into e-science. We do get information back from ET contact. We do get information back from OBE. So I'm asking, you know, what happens if we filter that information through one very narrow filter? And that is, what is the relationship between our reality and the larger reality? That'd be kind of the third question. And the fourth question is very much related to that. And the demonic part is gonna rattle a lot of folks, I'm sure. But it is kind of interesting how this brings us back full circle in a way. So if the opening question was not, are we biological robots in a meaningless universe, but how does such a ridiculous meme remain intellectually viable? I think Gordon is kind of trying to answer that question and saying, hey man, that's the program. That's the demonic game. But I'd broaden it a little bit and say the question for me is, what is the role of deception in this process? And I, like all of us, am reluctant in some ways to go there I, because I'm not sure it's the right question, but we keep bumping into that reality that Gnostic reality that I will create better than the creator gods because the creator gods are really making a mess of things. So there's so many layers to that because as appealing as that Gnostic sensibility is, it doesn't really give us any hope of transcending outside of this little street fight. Certainly not in the way that we talk about, for example, NDE experiences and the potential that maybe exists for something that truly does transcend that back alley brawl between the creator gods and those of us who want to create better than them. So bringing that back to the question is, what is the role of deception in all of this? Why is there deception? Why is there evil, as we've talked about many times on this show? And I think this question, as I'm stating it here, for me, gets to the deeper question of the nature of this evil. Because it's one thing to say that there's evil in the world, and that's an evildoer, as our ex-president from many years ago, George Bush, said. 
And again, I'm trying to bring it to more of a personal journey of who are we, why are we here, why are we clearly being deceived at various points in this process? What is the purpose of that? How, who does that serve and why does that seem to be so much a part of the process and tricksters and all the rest of that almost at every turn? So there's four questions for you. There are four questions for me, I should say, because as I said, those are the four questions that are on my mind and are, for the most part, driving my thoughts and ideas in terms of who I'm talking to right now and who I want to talk to. And it isn't always, of course, a perfect fit because sometimes somebody pops up and I want to talk to them and they come on the show. But I do feel good sharing with you these ideas in these directions and what's on my mind along those lines. You understand uh, why I associate, you even mentioned Gordon there. So four essential questions representing skeptical 4.0, because here, as we just heard, you're going full philosophy, full existentialism. You're really taking it to another level than before. And I, I'd say another example, I think, of that kind of, uh, like, like I associate Gordon to that kind of level you're operating on now, but also your other friend, um, uh, Aeon Bike. Miguel. Miguel, of Miguel. course. Yeah. Um, I think. Hello. Yes, I agree. I'm a good fit for Skeptico 4.0. How's it going? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Miguel. Oh, we yeah. really got Miguel on here? <laughs> no, it's a bot. I am a bot. <laughs> he just came for the cake. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's pre recorded. But since I'm a precog, I'll guess every. I know everything you're going to say. My friend, it is so awesome to have you here. This guy, Al, somebody has to do this for for you and for oh my god, everybody really. It's been so great. It's you know reconnecting with all these people and. That's yeah, it's super great. So yeah, good deal. Good. Yeah, we were just uh, at the point now that Miguel Connor from Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio just entered the chat, and we were just talking about how Skeptico has evolved to what we call point four zero. And I was just saying, I think Gordon White kind of uh, represents that level of operation, but I think you do too, Miguel. And <laughs> point four zero is Alex is going much more deeper into existential and philosophical issues than I used to. Well, see, you're talking to a guy who started from that standpoint. So, yeah. like, we're trying to we're trying to bring Miguel back down to our world. He's out there fighting the Archons and, you know. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're just trying to meet, we're trying to meet in the middle, somewhere between this grounded, worldly pursuits of truth and this existential, there is no truth kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, the Hassan Sabah. Nothing is true, everything's possible. Everything's permitted, sorry. But, uh, yeah, that's where the fun is. I mean, obviously, I've always thought she was doing philosophical stuff. I know, um, same with Al. I don't see, a, I really don't see a separation. I think we've always been sort of holistic in this view. Uh, I mean, I've done plenty of shows recently on um, simulation theory, brought some scientific people. So uh, that's the beauty of being able to podcast once a week or so. Yeah, uh, but uh, how did you discover Skeptical, Miguel? Uh, I started listening here and there, and people started offering, and then Alex invited me. I actually looked on the uh, YouTubes, and 
It was 2015, and I must admit it at first, I thought Skeptico was an atheist show. I thought it was so, uh, it was only later, a few, uh, after appearing on his show a few weeks later, I was like, oh man, this dude is not a new atheist. I like him even more. I liked him <laughs> the first time I was on his show, but it was nice to see that it was far from it. Yeah. Coffee, what was it? Coffee, cigarettes, and gnosis. Yeah, that's how it started. And then I don't know. I, there were, I had a dream years ago and I wrote a short story like when I was like 20 years old, still Catholic. And I called it, it was Aeon Bite. And it was this sort of space adventure. And for some reason, I, I decided to change the name. So, and, um, but that was a while ago. Yeah, in 2015, when I met you, it was already Aeon Bite. Well, I remember you way back in the day of, coffee cigarettes and gnosis and you had that scruffy look Where, when did you start miguel um i started putting out podcasts probably 2006 but i mean oh my i was God. part of free thought media which was it really was a new the new atheist organization but again the enemy of my enemies a friend so they were very happy to have me on and i just started putting out shows here and there but again, it wasn't really until 2018 that I started going full time with it. Before it was just sort okay, of, okay. I was one of those periodical podcasters, a show right. here, find a guest there, and so forth. And so it's amazing how time flies, huh, guys? Well, I don't know if it's amazing or not. <laughs> I don't know if it's a better world or not. <laughs> I think the world went mad in 2016. Yeah. That's when the trickster started. So, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun, even more fun. Yeah, we were listening to uh, a feature from the Grim America guys, and they were talking about, you know, it looked as if we were winning <laughs> the battle prior to 16, uh, at least in terms of the skeptical crowd, the new atheists. But then, uh, <laughs> much certainly we realized, oh, this was just a battle. It wasn't a war. <laughs> now we realize we're in a war. Yeah, yeah. Now the war has started. But I think we are winning. I mean, I think it's obvious. I remember even talking to Gordon around that time. Gordon was saying materialism is dead, and it is dead. I think uh, the science proof. It was born dead, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it I mean, I had new atheist friends, and around 2016, they were telling me, look, uh, my friends at Mythicist Milwaukee, they were telling me, look, We've got to pivot because the reason rally isn't getting people, the sweet talking gigs are not there. Yeah, yeah, we've 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 punched out uh, orthodox religions and the fundamentalists really well, but now we're dying, so we need to pivot to um, <clears throat> free speech issues and so forth. And obviously, guys, you know, shysters like Sam Harris and those guys have moved on to other pastures. The thing is. 2016 suddenly everything became so politicized yeah. and that's the danger because what's the saying uh, in an authoritarian society everything is political and that is nice that all three of us if we've pretty much avoided the politics we've kept our eye on the ball and stayed out of the distractions that are out there instead of just going with the herd mm. well i'd have to disagree with you which i'm good at doing <laughs> on the materialism is dead. And I think that anyone who thinks materialism is dead just doesn't understand the extent to which these guys have bullets in their gun that they haven't even, you know, not only haven't even fired, they haven't even loaded them in the gun yet. And I think what's happening now with uh, 
with the reemergence or the recycling, the rebooting, as they say in the movies, of climate and uh, of the global warming scam is is evidence of that. And I think what they've done with the full frontal assault on science, it with the pandemic, is going to be cycled back around and in a subtle way is going to re-energize the materialism debate by not even making it center stage. It's going to be completely off the stage, but you can't really get to any of these issues, any of these global issues, anything that has global in it. You, you can't get into the global pandemic or global warming or any of that stuff without materialism. Materialism hasn't, hasn't been defeated. Yeah, but, but, but look, uh, I think you said this yourself, Alex, in an interview. Um, I think it was you. You said that, yeah, we may have won the debate, you know, the, the battle, but they're still controlling the institutions, like like Wikipedia. They're still controlling that. They they won't debate anyone anymore, especially not after you've exposed them. So, well, you, you know, you ref but you referenced the interview that I did with Mario Beauregard 10 years ago, and it's funny, Dr. Mario Beauregard from Montreal and where he said he was optimistic 10 years ago this is right directly to this point mm -hmm. that his his talk on the intersection between spirituality consciousness and how that was a direct contradiction to materialism was gaining more traction it was gaining acceptance within academia just interviewed the guy it, what he's now said is that he realizes what a rigged game right. it was and what a false promise it was that openness and particularly you know as it relates to maybe some of the more conspiracy conspiratorial stuff that you and i have done and miguel has touched on over the years is he sees the connection with mk ultra and mk ultra was deeply embedded within uh mcgill in in Quebec and just in general, Quebec being, you know, kind of a, a, a Vichy, a, a Vichy supporting in World War II and direct deep connections to MK Ultra programs. So to, to, to imagine and to romanticize about the idea that these guys have kind of given up on the materialism, that you're a biologic Roblox, there is no divinity in you, so to even bother trying to access it. I, I just don't think they're anywhere close to that. I think they have a different, a million different ways of spinning it. And I think, uh, I think Satanism is a perfect way of really spinning materialism in a way. If you listen to what like Mitch Horowitz, who I had on the show, and he's a defender of Michael Aquino, who is the verified, you know, over and over again, pedophile. And, and he, you know, that is, that is another new thought spin of materialism that gets them to kind of the same point, you know, which is don't worry about your divinity. It's, it's, it's more complicated than that. And let me, let me tell, and let me slip in the transhumanism with it in a way. So that doesn't exactly sync up with exactly where Miguel is at, but it's why I've always loved and respected Miguel's work is because he's deeply enmeshed in exploring these topics. So I just stole the mic there, Miguel. So please, Tell me what you think about that, because I'm always interested in what other people are thinking. So what's going on with you in that? Yeah, and particularly, Miguel, tell us what you're thinking about the Aquino, Michael Aquino thing. Alex is pretty decided on that. 
Yeah, I think I'm probably leaning towards where Alex is on it. I haven't delved as deeply as uh, he has, but uh, the evidence seems pretty strong right there. And it doesn't, uh, not looking good, but uh, things definitely change. I mean, but I think at the same time, yeah, the biological robot, I mean, we do live in an era where Marianne Williamson actually ran for president yeah. and had some traction. We do live in a time when somebody like, I don't know, uh, Jordan Peterson can, regardless of what you think, can sell a millions of books on a sort of uh, latter-day Jungian kind of attitude. So I think things are going in. But, but yeah, I think the, the narrative or the, the hypno... The hypnotizing magic has changed. I think it's gone from biological robot to you will own nothing and like it. You will eat bugs and live in a pod. So <laughs> I think they're sort of taking it with the big brother will take care of you instead of uh, you're really nothing. So just be debauched. We, and we live in a time where Sam Harris is meditating, and we're living in a time where a bunch Neil deGrasse Tyson yeah. is admitting to a paradigm, uh, you know, the simulation thing. Mm -hmm. Complete science fiction. Uh, no, well, not fiction, but complete. Should I say? I mean, some of these uh, new fad paradigms that the desperate materialists are clinging to now are actually much more wacko than some traditional stuff. Uh, the number of dimensions and, and really how the regular old stream materialist paradigm is breaking apart. But they don't realize themselves, I think, the philosophical depths of what they're adopting and flirting with now. Uh, because they've never been a very good philosophers anyway. But when you really examine it, uh, we've managed, I mean, it's a completely different, so, so there has been movement. I'm not talking about winning and losing here, but change for sure. But here, here's the point, and we're kind of getting off of the whole thing that we've been doing for the last three hours on this awesome <laughs> thing that you've done for me, Al, which is so super. But like, Maybe if people were to get a sense of what skepticals about, I can't let go of this, Miguel. I can't let go of Mitch Horowitz, who's been on your show, who when I asked Mitch Horowitz if he's a Satanist, he said, yeah. And then I said, here in writing, you've said one of your inspirations is Michael Aquino. And he says, yeah. And I said, yeah, but Michael Aquino has been outed as a pedophile at the Presidio and the Army report. Anyone can go and read these declassified documents where he sued the Army to not say he was a pedophile and the army said nah there's so much evidence we have all this evidence we have direct testimony of uh, that shows that you lied and shows that you brought kids into your house and you and your wife was they, he arrested well he he was not he was not but the, the point is he was but if is that the measure by which we're going to uh, uh you know evaluate these things the truth would be hidden in exactly the way that it's hidden. I think it's significant that the army was not willing to back down. And as a matter of fact, went out of the way to say that, it, and think of that, this is Colonel Michael Aquino, mm -hmm. highly, highly connected in many different ways with people that we've already talked about on this show. So what's going on with the Satanism and materialism connection? And materialism is just 
the, like you said, to, to say you will have nothing and you will be happy is exactly mirrors your biological robot in a meaningless universe. I mean, you are a biological robot. So the connection between that and Satanism, I say Satanism, when I use Satanism, I always have to add the caveat. I don't know what Satanism means. I mean, I'm not, I don't believe in the, the Christian dogma doctrine, which is the origins of that term. But I understand that, you know, Mitch Horowitz is not standing on any kind of historically solid ground when he says that Michael Aquino is a tremendous influence. And then when I put the pedophile, pedophilia stuff out there, he's like, no, 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 that isn't true. That isn't true. No, the evidence is overwhelming that it's true. So I think the one thing that I guess that I've bumped into with uh, with with you, Miguel, lately is I think the truth telling part of this is on one hand very slippery because we all know that there is no ultimate truth, but on the other hand, I think we need to clean up our community and we need to clean up the truther community in a number of ways. Yes. But part of it is, nah, you're you, you're responsible for saying stuff that doesn't pan out, and I'm I'm glad that I nailed. Mitchell to the cross there. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of, I mean, I always like to stay more as a historical person. I don't want us to get too much into having our own sort of cancel culture. I get annoyed when the cultists try to cancel Aleister Crowley because, again, I just, I, I like to read history. I like to see how these figures impacted the stream of the esoterica and the mainstream. I mean, mm. people were making arguments about Muhammad having a nine-year-old daughter. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, I mean, every of these figures was definitely mixed. I mean, you know, I love Carl Jung. He had affairs with his wives, uh, said some really stupid things about uh, other figures. Philip K. Dick was pathological in a mess. Uh, so I try, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't feel we should even ignore these figures. They're part of a stream. They had their values. And the last thing I want to do is sort of uh, cut them out like some sort of Stalin photograph. I mean, again, <laughs> I can't judge Mitch because uh, Aquino does nothing for me. I just see him as another historical figure. I'm not a fan of the Church of Satan because I think... Uh, one thing, the biggest danger of them all is the nihilism. I think that's what new atheism and Satanism and even, you know, you'd be careful, Zen Buddhism and others, they do bring a form of nihilism. And that's where the danger is, because not only are we biological robots, but then suddenly if we're biological robots, then nothing matters. Then we can really be immoral or be manipulated to do immoral things to others and uh, sort of live this uh, debauched, uh, this debauched life when nothing matters. We can be, that's what the Marquise de Sade said. He was an atheist and it said, the only thing that matters in life is pleasure. And we can just do anything we want to each other and it won't matter. To me, that's the biggest danger right there. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that. And this is actually an interesting discussion for you doing this show, Al, because this is where I'm at right now. I'm with you philosophically. I'm with you in terms of the esoteric and the mystical uh, understanding, which is impossible to always needs to have all doors open. Yes. But we also have to acknowledge deception. And I think we have to call out deception 
when we see it. And this, this has been particularly brought into focus by the last two years. Shut up and wear the mask. Well, what's the science to support that idea? Take the jab. What's the science in terms of, and so when we when we have a total affront on science and we extend that to a total assault on truth and on history, I think we have to hold the ground there. So I'm all for all the cool things. Mitch Horowitz is a fascinating guy. He's incredibly articulate and well-spoken and he's written some wonderful books, but he's not truthful about Aquino. He's not processing it. He's not processing it in a way that obviously is conforms to the historical facts. And when he doesn't, when somebody doesn't do that, then you have to question what is behind that. Why are they, you know, we can all fumble and not be informed. And then we get informed and we get smarter and we say, oh gosh, I made such a mistake. Why is he not course correcting? And why do we see that again and again? That's all what the, the today's news is all about, right? Oh, let's move on to the next thing. We don't have to admit any mistakes we've made. That to me is a sure sign of the, the op. That is the op. So yeah, I mean, no, we have to call these people on truth telling. They do have to find the truth and they do have to tell the truth or we should be suspicious of their motives. What do you think, Miguel? Yeah, I have faith in Mitch. He's a he's a he's a good guy and he's a good friend. I mean, I remember there was a time, I think it was 2015, 16, yeah, that time when the cancel culture and the divide and conquer propaganda was being ramped up and people were going after Ayn Rand really big time. Uh, they were just kind of trumping, not trumping up, they were bringing his, historical facts, but without context, be, you know, be on some clickable articles on the internet. And I remember Mitch writing, a, even though Mitch is like very left leaning, very, I mean, he, he openly admits he loves Karl Marx, but he wrote this very sober, wonderful, long article about Anne Rand. And he said, these are her good parts, which I admire. These are the parts I do not admire. But let's look at the the whole package and let's see Anne Rand for it is. She's not the existential threat to a civilization that leftists would like to see, but she's also not the savior that a lot of libertarians and so forth would like to see. And he did the same with, uh, what's his name, uh, James Randi was the, the um, right yeah the the big time atheist when he passed away except he got he got uh, raked over the coals by the atheist community and he stood up for his conviction and he said no this is what I did this is the good parts the bad parts uh, the questionable parts and everything else so I think um, I'm sure Mitch will come around and he, of course he talks a lot about many of his heroes that uh, that he's had so. I think uh, we'll just see where this goes, but uh, yeah, I agree. It's not, it's not going anywhere. All this information has been out for years and the guy is a Satanist. So, you know, whatever that means to be publicly a Satanist and to publicly defend Aquino, again, this is where we, we differ a little bit. It's awesome. I still love you. I still love all your work, but I think we do. I think the litmus test thing as uncomfortable as people are with that idea. Yeah. I think there are litmus tests out there. I mean, if you think if, if you don't understand that nine 11 was an inside job, I mean, that's a litmus test. Your worldview is somewhat limited or you're trying to deceive in the case of Mitch Horowitz, he knows better about Aquino. He just wants to mislead people that, that this well-known Satanist 
Mike Laquino was not who he said he was. And that's the only not the Satanism part that gets you, right? I think we, it's the pedophilia part. Yeah. That should, that's no, the it's, the, it's the Satanism part because the do what thou wilt, as you correctly pointed out, I think that is the abomination on spirit on divinity, on light, on the light that, that is really what matters, is the, the whatever Satanism is, again, and it can only be defined by a totally corrupt Christian understanding of it, so it's corrupt, it, it is a meaningless term from the beginning, but the only way to understand it is to understand it as deception, as darkness, as whatever those other, you know, we all know the tools in the playbook, you know, do what thou wilt, all those things, but it's darkness. It's to bring you away from the light. And that's, to me, that's what Michael Aquino represents. His whole life represents that. And it's, he's a sad, pathetic figure. I mean, he's not like a scary guy. He's just, he's past, but his whole history is pathetic and his whole family is pathetic. I mean, it's, it, it, it's very, very sad, sad kind of thing. But we have to call darkness when we see darkness, and we have to call light. And we can be wrong sometimes, but I think we have to make those distinctions. Those are the most in, important distinctions. There, look, there, look, there is light. There is darkness. Yeah, look, first off, I, I haven't looked into the Aquina guy, so all I have to go by is what you've said, uh, Alex, and your guest. What's his name? Mitch? Yes. Mitch Horowitz? Is that the name? Correct. Yeah. So, and he, he is, so, yeah, I agree. I got a very good impression, uh, of him. He seemed very nuanced. And, right. and nuance is, is what we need here. Like Miguel points out, but he sounded like he was sincerely disagreeing with you. And I think uh, you say he was lying, but that's, remember when you say that, you're actually implying that someone is saying the opposite of what they know or what they really believe. And, and, and of course that happens a lot. But when you're saying we have to call out our own, I agree with you, but not in the way you seem to mean now, because you seem to be on some kind of moral crusade. It's impossible to get everyone on board on that anyway. I believe we have to, uh, independent media have to call out themselves and each other for these reasons. Number one, we cannot leave it to the debunkers and the mainstream, and you see how they're treating Rogan and everything. They have agenda. The, their entire starting point is a lie and manipulation. But if we do it with ourselves, people will re recognize it's a truth purification process. It's we, we are, the independent media is trying to get to the bottom of whatever we are talking about. And a part of that must be to afford to disagree and to call each other out and notwithstanding also bashing obvious ops, like for example, Flat Earth. Because otherwise, the moguls, they are being presented the, the mainstream public overtone window, which is completely bullshit, going nowhere, materialism, uh, or nothing, and love it. And then, as a scary kind of, come to us, come to the public overtone window, because look at what's going on over there. And then they put up the boogeyman's. That's how they started with Alex Jones, right? Who, yeah. who is easy. You can take anything out of context, some rant he has. And everyone will run to the mainstream. Uh, but if you sit down with Alex Jones, you, you first you sedate him, then you ask him to bring all his sources, then you say, we have five hours, Alex, now explain why frogs are gay. <laughs> then he won't come off like a madman. But I'm saying, let us do it and not leave it to them. Because then 
people will see it's a it's it's an that's a part of the success of skeptical like we talked about in the beginning that unlike all the other people who went to the battle of gladiators oh i'm fighting for my tribe you were going in there with a truth agenda and that that was recognized by many and that also was scared away many including the skeptics because they're not used to talking with someone who is actually sincere yeah let's look at the data okay let's see what this means you see you, you understand what i mean i disagree i disagree I, yeah but did you understand it my point well of course i i understand it but so I, what did you disagree with let's hear is that the subtlety that we're talking about right now is what's most important to me right now because i don't think this is an impossible this kind of discernment that you're looking for is impossible to achieve i think that the pandemic has forced us to sort through this stuff on a on a just on a scale of 10 from what we used to be so we'll go back to michael aquino and i can <laughs> send you both if you want the the excellent website where the guy has broken down all the uh you know michael aquino was personally identified him and his wife were identified by 60 witnesses children in the presidio child care center in san francisco the evidence was so strong that they were able to get a search warrant for his house when they got it into his house they found exactly what the kids said mm. walls all painted black and red an altar out of bones and they had all they found pornographic films and videos and you asked a great question al was he ever convicted no he wasn't why wasn't he convicted maybe because he was a colonel in the army with the connections of how this pedophilia and Satanism had infiltrated in so many ways. Yeah. It is not believable to me that Mitch Horowitz, as intelligent as he is, is not aware of this evidence. That is not that, that I, I'm willing to accept that maybe that's true, but I would say the, the, the burden of proof would be strongly on anyone who maint as intelligent as him, has as well read as him, who doesn't have that information. So that's where I kind of draw the line yeah, with, yeah. Old with, both you, with both you and Miguel, where you go, oh, you know, he's a good guy. No, no. He, he sounded like no. he was. Yeah, yeah, but old skeptical would have him back on. Uh, first send him the evidence after the first show and then have him back on to confront him. Oh, I, well, gladly. I've, I've offered <laughs> but, to have him back on. He would never, yeah. he'll never come no back problem. on. That's all these people. They never come back on. Of course not. Are you kidding? No, I read your first book. I know you had people come back on after a disagreement. <laughs> who, who came you, back on? Who? I'd have to read Why Science is Wrong About Everything. There's a few that you do mention in your first book. I, the brave. And you, you had printed out the emails, you know, we had a disagreement. Let's come, let's do this again. So there's a couple of people who did come back yeah. on Skeptico. Yeah. Well, you know, that was back in the day when it was about like research papers in parapsychology and a narrow thing. <laughs> the culture issues and the deeper esoteric issues and really the spiritual issues and these issues of evil and darkness versus light uh my experience is no those people do not mitch horwitz is welcome at any time to come on and talk about the specifics of the colonel michael aquino case colonel is really the the most important figure definitely deep connections to mk ultra deep connections to 
all sorts of mind control experiments. That should really be the focus, not his Satanism, Satanism and his pedophilia. It's that this was kind of, and still is, we must assume, a significant part of whatever it takes kind of military mentality, or we don't even know what how, how far that reaches. But oh, yeah, I can believe that. Because did you see the recent CIA revelations that uh, a bunch of people in CIA exactly. were pedophiles and criminals, and they weren't even charged? The worst thing that happened was that they lose, lost their jobs. Uh, I, I think one of them lost their jobs. Well, they did, they did go to court with one uh, CIA employees, but that was because he had... Uh, mishandled sensitive classified information that's why they went after him so we, all the others but al but al we have to stop saying this is my opinion and i'm calling miguel out here too on this nice he came out yeah. to do a nice wish me well kind of thing <laughs> you know what no he just because he's a nice guy and just because he wrote a nice piece on and ran doesn't mean that He's telling the truth here, and he has to tell the truth all the time, 100% of the time. That is our obligation. And if we're not telling the truth 100% of the time, then we must have a different agenda. The agenda is to intentionally deceive or mislead. There's, that's that's kind of simple. Yeah, I mean, tell the truth. I mean, you can tell the untrue without uh, intention. But uh, I'll give the comment to Miguel. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know what to say. I just came to say happy anniversary, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you got sucked in. Yeah, yeah. Why well, do we get into uh, Michael Aquino? Uh, I don't know what else to say. I mean, uh, okay. What's okay? Why don't again? I feel one thing that has to be said is we also have to talk about definitions. What is Satanism? What are we looking for? How deep it is? Because Alex, you, you're talking, you're saying the important thing is the MK Ultra, but to me, the important thing is the pedophilia, and that's what needs to be brought into, or we need to define these terms. What are you looking for? Because the Temple of Set, I know people in it. They're good people. It's a Neoplatonic organization. It doesn't even focus on Satanism. And again, we go round and round. What is Satanism? There's different strains of Satanism. Uh, throughout history, there have been different strains of Satanism from the I love the Prince of Darkness, I want to kill to the more uh, Luciferian. And of course, the Church of Satan today is simply a humanistic. Uh, well, I don't I don't personally, I don't like their agenda. I think I think they do more damage than good. But uh, they do claim to be a humanist agenda that simply sees Satan as the symbol of rebellion against the establishment. I, I get all that. It gets down to a matter of if you accept the idea that there are there, that there is a darkness, there is a dark force, there is a dark energy, and some people, for various reasons, are drawn to that. Do, do you accept that idea, or do you not accept the idea of a, a light and a dark? Of course. I mean, we've had conversations. I mean, it, all of us cast a shadow. All of us have the potential darkness within us that could go off at any minute. Right. So when we're drawn to the dark, that's not good to keep things really simple. And when we see people who have a, a, a life that is basically enmeshed in and has fallen victim to the darkness over and over again, these are not people we want to prop up and say that that's the right thing. We, we feel sorry for him. Like you feel sorry for Mike Laquino. He's a pathetic person. But, yeah, it, but Alex, I mean, uh, here's an example, for example. 
you know, I loved when I was younger individuals like Jim Morrison or Frank Zappa. I thought they were great. They inspired me. So some of their music and poetry saved my life. Made and I guess you can make an argument. Maybe took me down drugs, but whatever it is, very impactful people on my life and other people. So now I read. You know, of course, you get older, you find out a lot. Mother, these motherfuckers were part of uh, military MK Ultra. They were part of the machine to hypnotize humanity. But you know what? I still like their music. I still like their message. I still have a place in my heart. For them, even if I'm like you, sons of bitches were part of the, the, you were part of the darkness. So it's it's pretty complicated that way. I mean, I'm sure you've got examples yourself. You know what? Well, I I, I do in that way, but Miguel, it really isn't that complicated because you're telling the truth. You're not saying that I'm such a fan of Jim Morrison that I can't accept that his father had these deep military intelligence connections yeah, and frank you're telling the truth that's all I, that's all i want is the truth mm. but uh, like i said earlier today truth isn't high in stock despite the party speeches um but it is the driving force of your show and a little uh, sideshow here illustrates skeptical 4.0 because you've gone full esoteric that's my point for Skeptical 4 or, or wh wh the direction you're heading anyway, <laughs> which is why I kind of like the association with Miguel and Gordon. Uh, look, I have one more clip to play. Well, we have, to, we we have to let Miguel go because if you want to talk about being sandbagged and ambushed, <laughs> this is it. This is an example of it. You invite somebody on for one reason and then you totally turn it around. Yeah, but that wasn't planned. I mean, neither of us. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm just kidding because I, I, I so love and respect Miguel, and I, I grilled him pretty hard there on, on Mitch Horowitz. But I won't stop. Um, I stand by whatever all the things I said. But he, he doesn't have to go. He can, he can stay for a while. Uh, we just have one more clip. Well, we should invite. We should give him the opportunity to go. Right. He's right. been, he's been very generous with his time. No, I'm good. I want to listen to this clip. Cool. No, it's okay. all good. It's all good. I mean, as Jim Morrison said, no one here gets out alive. So we might as well enjoy each other's <laughs> company because it ain't going to last. <laughs> exactly. You know, the other interesting thing about Jim Morrison, what does it mean to be the son of that? How much was it really within his, you know, it's very complicated. It, the same thing is true with uh, Aquino. His background and his parents, horrible, horrific, horrific. So he is a victim as well as a perpetrator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these, these again, monsters are created. Nobody wakes up one day saying, I want to cause untold damage yeah. to humanity and rob people of their dignity and destroy civilizations. These things are... I mean, you've done plenty of shows on that, Alex, you know, the satanic cults. I mean, the elite have to blackmail, rape, abuse each other to yeah. keep each other trained and honest, you know, honor amongst thieves. So, yeah, you have to feel compassion for individuals like Jim Morrison and other of the tools of the this wickedness in high places. Hey, look, I worked in psychiatry, and one of the first things I learned when uh, working with abused children was that three or four abusers are abused, were abused. So yeah, it's maybe what the Christians call the heritage sin. Is that the English word for it? The, the bad vibes going generation by the generation. The sins of the father. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, directly translated from Norwegian is heritage sin. Uh -huh. But um, before we uh, play the last clip and comment upon that, 
it's kind of connected actually uh, but we were talking about calling others out you didn't comment upon that alex you, you just wanted us to agree that this chap is a satanist but don't you agree really that we need to keep each other honest in the independent media and that we need to create a climate where this it's okay because remember the cancel culture and the politicization the bullshit left right narrative when it's all about bottom top remember all that stuff and also the uh, oh you, i'm too sensitive to hear what you're saying all that is artificially created from those who set the agenda if you want to look at what it what happens when nobody tries to intervene then look at internet from its inception until 2015 it was like i've said before it was uh, an anarchic state and it worked and everything we know came from that right and so free speech freedom uh, also means that it's okay to disagree so so what do you what do you guys think about that that we should clean up our own area on our premises well i just think we just have to be committed to the truth and telling the truth and not worrying about you know oh he's such a good guy i'm friends with him you know there's a bunch of people that i've had over the time in the relationships that they don't always work out because i'm pretty vocal about saying this is the truth I've discovered if this upsets you or if this means we can't be friends anymore I I'm sorry but I have to pursue the truth I can't pull up because we're friends mm. yeah but but that goes together with making it okay to disagree I think we need to teach people that that's okay too uh, because when people are not identified with illusions like their emotions or their thoughts yeah I, then they... I just think a lot of this a lot of this shit about cancel culture is is bull is obviously bullshit it isn't that hard the discernment in this way is not that hard it's 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 you get that you got to let other people say stuff and you also get if people say really really stupid stuff you don't you're not obligated to sit there and and be subjected to it you know so yeah. well i think we we have a real good sense a much better sense of where that line is drawn than what we pretend when we hear about oh you know because cancel culture is just that they're just banning people they're just censoring yeah. people completely so yeah. we get it let, let miguel in there yeah but he he <laughs> muted himself um yeah i am <laughs> unmuted now uh, well, I mean, the cancel culture, I think, is also about thought control, uh, herd mentality, divide and conquer. It's uh, totally it's a lot more complicated than that. I don't know about yeah, policing each other. I think the truth is there. I mean, all three of us have our podcasts and these are our homes. This is our voice. This is where we get to say what we want to say and explore things that we want to explore and our views are always going to be changing as marcus aurelius said uh two things in life to live by let reason guide you and change your mind so we are going to evolve in these things i mean but there are many prodigal sons out there look at uh, um, bringing in jordan peterson he bought into everything he made his choice 
and he got, you know, twice vaxxed, lockdowns. He went with everything and he went as far as he could with it and finally said, okay, this is it. I was lost in the wilderness. Now I'm done and I'm putting my foot on the sand. So sometimes there are, um, there are going to be prodigal sons out there, just like I've been a prodigal son before. Um, but as far as policing each other, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, we have to, we really need to get down with definitions of what things are and everything else. I know Alex obviously has been exploring it with the idea of evil. And that's a topic that's complicated in itself that could take years to untangle. Um, So, yeah, that's really, that's all I got on this topic, really. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, let's move on then. And I'll play a new clip. This is a mesh of three different statements. I've called a clip on giving voice discovering other shows, experimenting with joint projects. Which is the other impetus of the show that really remained sound and true to this day is that there's a lot of really important thinkers out there who don't get airtime. I think that's really probably less true now than when I started because there's been a a growth on the internet of shows like mine or shows in this general topic area that now cover these topics more thoroughly, which is fantastic. I think that's great. I'd love to be obsolete at some point. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the medium of podcasting is that these things live forever in time. And it's one of the real fun things for me is getting emails from folks who say, hey, I just discovered the show on episode 140, and I've decided to go back and listen from the beginning. You know, I think, wow, that's so great. I mean, that's, I've done that so many times in exploring something and getting interested in it, and then finding that there's this library that I can go back and listen to. The project was supposed to be a much grander project where I would bring you some of the ideas from some of the podcasters I most admire, and I think are really changing our understanding of truth and reality. I have some in various stages of development, so if people really, really like it, I'll try and push forward with that. But I basically abandoned that project because it just didn't have any legs to it. So here, first you're talking about giving voice, but now there's so many others, so I wouldn't mind getting obsolete. Well, that statement could just be made before the censor time. Because now we're back to scratch. <laughs> now people are being cancelled left and right. So now we really need a few shows that um, still doesn't self-censor like that. Then you talk about discovering other shows, the back uh, catalogue. Of course, I recognize that from when I discovered um, Skeptical. And I suspect you did the same when <laughs> you discovered my show, Alex. <laughs> and maybe Miguel did the same. Yeah. And then you talk about projects. And that's interesting because that's a callback to what we talked about earlier, Alex, that you've been trying, you, you've been doing experiments, you've experimented with the format, you've moved on in terms of subjects, you turn it into books, and you even have tried to move and experiment with other mediums. And I guess that's a phase you're not completely done with yet. So, well, um, you know, it's funny. Yep. It's funny because we're talking to a guy right here, Miguel Connor. Exactly. Who was involved in that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. Because I had this idea to do, to really bring just these incredibly gifted and deeply thinking people like Miguel, who I, I hope you can see. Uh, one of the things I, I love is that I don't exactly 
sync up with Miguel on everything, but I fundamentally sync up with Miguel on the most important heartfelt, uh, spirit felt kind of things. And I was so moved to that, that, you know, we tried to do this thing, truth bump. And I hired a guy supposed to be a really good guy, go out and film Miguel back when he lived in Chicago. And I hired another guy in Russia who was very talented and did some graphics and stuff like that. And I, it ate my lunch. I made it realize just how hard it was to put something like that together that, you know, and, and the one we did, the one that I did and I published with Miguel on YouTube, it was, I thought it was really good. And I thought it showed, a, it's just Miguel, but yeah, I, I think, what did you think of that, of that video? I think it went, I think it came out really well. I enjoyed it. So uh, the graphics, the tone, the music. But I don't know that it really, I don't know that it accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish is, is. Do you think it was a springboard for people to get into a bite or do you think we need those kind of things or, or now it's just there's so much i just think people have to find it organically yeah i agree i mean the advantage is that we can experiment all we want why this is the golden age of podcasting podcasting is yeah. talk about moving culture and giving people choices and everything so we can play along we can fail we can tweak but the, the it's beyond the algorithm this is truly a a stream of the collective unconscious i was i mean in our lifetimes we really thought google was god the closest or the closest thing to the demiurge the supreme being of our culture <laughs> Last year is the first year where Google is no longer the number one site. It's actually TikTok. Video is killing the search engine wow. star. I mean, imagine people are probably never thought they would live in this world because Google is, it's like, again, it's God, it's ubiquitous. It's what we use every day. And now it's fallen and people are, are and experts are saying it's not just you know, video and TikTok and the show, but it's podcasting. That's where people are going more than Wikipedia, more than other places. And people can discern. They can listen to this podcast and not podcast. And people email me. I, I, I wanted to learn about this subject and that subject. So it's a good time. And so uh, with Truth Bomb, uh, again, we can experiment. We can go to video. We can do more YouTube. We can try this, that. It's all our voice will continue and you've got to you've got to take those risks here and there and learn from them that's for sure yeah but miguel you know why this is the golden age of podcast right and and the the answer to that is also the same answer to what will happen next the reason obviously is that it's a lost area not being controlled and censored which is why if you right, paid attention it's just an rss feed it's out there. You stream it. Yeah. Everybody gets it. No, no gatekeepers really. On TikTok, you mean? No, for podcasting. Yeah, but haven't it's you? Still no a very free. It's still free, but haven't you noticed uh, the campaign that's ramping up? Not just against Rogan. Uh, mainstream is oh, calling. Yes, yes, they started. Yeah. Yes, and the reason is that YouTube used to be like, I remember guys, I started at YouTube, uh, and YouTube was a Klondike back in the day. It was the Wild West, it was the main 
amazing. <laughs> it was, and it was even better than podcasting because we were being paid instead of paying. <laughs> now they're going to crack down on podcasts. If they're going to succeed with the great reset or whatever you want to call it, they can't have this little, this huge space out there that's not controlled by algorithm and censorship and all that stuff. So it's coming, guys. It's coming. But we better enjoy it while we can, because yes, it's still the last free space. Well, that's why it's better to adapt. I mean, go to places like Rockfin, Odyssey. I mean, yeah. And and like you said, they they have to take down Rumble. Yeah, they have to take Rogan down first. That's it. And right now, he's got Teflon. Yeah, Alex. No, I I'm I don't. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> Censorship. <laughs> this is important, man. <laughs> yes. And he went quiet. Well, but um, go ahead. No, no. You want to say something? Talk. No, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It's a constantly evolving thing. I think what, what the guys are with uh, podcasting 2.0 are trying to do is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And it's a, an attempt to kind of circumvent what we know is coming so yeah it's a very tech conversation if you want to get into it yeah yeah i mean it's still the same thing of uh, controlling the narrative and all that and it's gotten away from the elite or the establishment so that's why and they're trying but right now there's they don't uh they don't have a good plan because again it's an rss feed and it goes through apple it goes through exactly. all these other places yes i know apple is more centralized but Apple has been very good of just letting all this information fly out. If there's any place I've gotten strikes before, it's all on YouTube. Only on YouTube have I had my videos taken down. And uh, even, well, YouTube is turning into a disaster. Yeah, after Google uh, purchased it. Mm -hmm. But of course, uh, it's a rigged game because those who own the big platforms is the same who owns the those who advertise on those platforms and are the same who owns the mainstream media so it's the same owners and of course they don't they panicked when they realized that everyone is turning away from one part of their industry namely television and newspapers onto youtube especially youtube so they purchased youtube because otherwise they would be paying us for ruining their mainstream media they are paying, it's their products, their advertisement products, and then paying us with advertisement on their platform. <laughs> so it was a suicidal model for them in their kind of paradigm where they want total control, right? So yeah, we've been flushed out. And uh, yeah, podcast is the last uh, bastion, precisely as Miguel says, it's much harder to, to control, but I'm sure they're going to find a way. Let them try. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like what blogging was 10, 15 years ago. Everybody had a blog. There was a lot of controversial blogs. People went to the comment sections to fight uh, and all that. And then it sort of has, has mutated more instead of video has mutated more into the podcasting format. And that's really exploded uh, because of the it's hard to control and people really are thirsty for finding information and trying to understand yeah. what's going out there or finding voices out there they can relate to. I mean, podcasting is so extensive from cooking to short story interpretations. I mean, everything you want, you really have it at a fingertip, but with a very human 
uh, expression or feel. These are real people who are behind the microphone who you can connect in a way you couldn't with other aspects of the internet. Exactly. That that's one of the things Jorogen and Alex has in common that everybody who, who tunes into that those podcasts immediately recognize that this is a guy on a truth quest. It's a sincere fellow who who is not driven by the ego on a truth quest. And that's the uh, key to success. I, I guess, Alex, the difference between you is that Rogan is content with uh, staying down at the foot of the mountain. This is a callback to a metaphor we used earlier. So you forgive me if you don't get this, Miguel. But Rogan is, is, is running around the mountain while you are insisting on going to the mountaintop. Yeah, I'm very reluctant to comment, you know, because... Joe Rogan is in such a different class than the tiny little shows that we do. And it, it's just a whole different dynamic. And I the don't know. The only difference is the number of people tuning in. What do you mean? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just think that's a, everyone wants to, you know, I don't know. We don't even know if where that whole thing is going to go. And I don't know if he's good or good or bad or anything. I've, you got to say great, great. What he's accomplished has clearly been overall good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't listen to it much, I'll be honest. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm just like any Joe. I look at the guests first. I go, okay, the guests. If I'm interested, I'm interested. That's that's the beauty of it. <laughs> Same with any, any other podcaster. What's the guess? What I think their chemistry will be like? And then make my decision. So, But he does... It's amazing because he does put out a lot of content. He's always done, you know, three to four podcasts a week, three hours. I don't know how you, I mean, that takes quite a bit of constitution, plus the research you have to do on the site. Each one of us probably spends quite a bit of hours on a, one single guest, one single week. Yeah. And that's a lot of work. And he's just, you know, consistent, long. And uh, again, he just takes, he asks questions, but he shows his humanity. He says, well, I did this, and I, it reminds me of this, and so forth. Mm. He, he can be corrected on air without uh, letting his ego freak out. Uh, like the guest said, he's a big boy. So, uh, yeah, there are parallels there. I have uh, one more question, topical question, and then uh, we'll wind down. Uh, it has to do with UFOs. Um, it's weird, Alex. I'm not sure if you, Miguel, uh, have you covered UFOs? Yes, definitely. I have covered UFOs. Yeah, probably in, one one yeah. out of every thirty shows or twenty shows. Right, in in connection with Gnosticism, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. Gnosticism is like the some have said the original star or UFO cult. Yeah. Well, me and Alex, like you, we're not a UFO show, but we've touched it. But maybe I'm wrong, Alex, but it's funny because, like I said, I, I think you're heading in the esoteric direction. That's always where people end up. That's the top of the mountain, if you like. And you would expect then, with the consciousness approach, that I would have on, let's say, Graham Hancock for that take on the UFO approach, right? But no, instead, my main focus has been on the human space programs, the classified space programs, the human-made flying saucers, if you like. And Alex, we would expect the same, that you too would have that perspective. But you've had, you've had the E.T. alien kind of uh, perspective, 
Which is kind of weird because both of us are so rooted in the... I mean, it goes without saying that that would be the first uh, model to explore, right? The paradigm, dimensional consciousness thing. Comment to that? Oh, man. I mean, we could do two hours I know. On, on that. I, I think that... Uh, here, here's my take. And I have an interview coming up with uh, just a fantastic person. His name is uh, Robert Hastings, if you've heard of him, but he's the UFO and nukes guy. He's been doing the work for 40 years. And then he just came out a couple of years ago and acknowledged that he was an abductee and that he's had contact for his whole life. And his mother even, is a he suspects, has contact from the stories he told. He was reluctant to come out and say that because of the reaction he would get from the nuts and bolts part of the UFO community, which you're kind of alluding to there. But there's an interesting juxtaposition there because his UFO and nukes information, his research is some of the most compelling research for the reality of the nuts and bolts reality of craft that fly over nuclear bases and disarm missiles and that we don't know how they're doing it but we have multiple observers both above ground and below ground and they disable all the missiles which is obviously sending some kind of message about what they think about our technology and the the, the what we're so proud of and then lo and behold the Iron Curtain comes down, the Soviets come down, and we find in their secret UFO files that they had the same experience, only there the UFOs turned on the missiles. Yeah, in Ukraine. Yeah. And they said, there, what are you going to do? In 10 minutes, countdown, you're going to destroy the Earth. And then the UFOs shut off the missiles. So anyone who wants to kind of pull the UFO thing into the consciousness realm, which I'm, you have to because there's a consciousness element to it. There's telepathy there. There's precognition there. There's all these other things there. You have to start by saying whatever this reality is, whatever this consensus reality is, they're definitely a part of that. Could be space Nazis. Don't, yeah, that, don't, don't say that. Hey, that's my the angle. name is Nordic. The Nordic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that space Nazis are joined forces with the Archons. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Watch out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, the UFO thing is a labyrinth. It's such a labyrinth. It's its own labyrinth itself. It's like, whew. It, it is, it is indeed. I, I hate that. I hate that. It's like everything is a labyrinth. We're just, but we can nudge closer to the truth. That's that's my final. That's my final shot. My final parting shot is yeah, that. Yeah, but, but see, I don't think so. I mean, I think on a cursory look, anybody, and again, we're talking about honesty and truth, Alex. You can take an hour or two. And at the very least, you'll come by and say, you know what? The official narrative of 9-11 is bullshit. Same with Kennedy. Just two hours. Okay, let's, I'll give you five hours. That's it. <laughs> and it's so obvious. Now, with the nuts and bolts of 9-11, who's behind it and all that, that might take, but it doesn't take. Now, with UFOs, there's like a million ways we could go into it and see yeah. it. And, I mean, it just... I think we're talking about different realms here. Uh, that's Oof. that's exactly to my point. How how in your estimation is it is it different? I just gave you an example of just the kind of nine eleven ish or JFK ish data. Robert Hastings interviewed over a hundred uh, high ranking, many of them high ranking, but credible military 
personnel who saw the UFOs in the nukes. So why why is that not at the same time? This could be a breakaway civilization. This could be the Nordics. It could be, again, laugh about the space Nazis. It could be many It could be aliens from a certain planet. Uh, see what I'm saying? There's a million threads you can pull up. No, I, I don't, because I, th I think you're applying a completely different standard. I mean, you could you could apply that same standard of something completely outside of our consensus reality oh, yeah. to 9-11, right? Uh, oh, well, so, uh, yeah, we could go down there. Yeah, I guess we could go down that rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it could have been a, a it could have been a mystical ritual. Sometimes that's what I lean towards, some sort of mass satanic ritual. But that ties in with the government, though. Yeah, but I think there's a built-in bias that we've accepted to question the UFO and the alien contact in a way that doesn't doesn't conform to the same standards in terms of evidence and acceptance of it that we do in these other fields that it, within this kind of truther community that we are, are okay with. So we're okay with saying, okay, I got the basic narrative on 9-11. It was an inside job. We seem less okay with saying, I got the story on UFOs. There are spacecraft that come here that travel at unbelievable, that defy our laws of physics. We don't know where they're coming from exactly. We don't know who's behind them exactly, but that is a reality in our consensus reality in the same way that the videos we saw in Building 7 and the big hole they have there in New York is a consensus reality that we that we accept. So, so do you think that anything it's possible to to uncover the truth of anything well we need to we need evidence of the spacecraft we need oh no we need a spacecraft here that we can look at and roswell obviously yeah but that that necessarily doesn't explain ufos it may explain a little part of the phenomenon but graham hancock will throw a book at your head uh, which it doesn't explain well jacques Vallée is the if one you know what i mean yeah jacques Vallée too jacques Vallée is the person yeah. that yeah, but what people forget is that Jacques Vallée walks around with a piece of alien spacecraft in his pocket, and he's analyzed it because with the most Because he's not dualistic. He's not either or. He's not full agnostic, too. But the, 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 <laughs> the point is, when, when people want to go the full uh, consciousness blob thing for UFOs, it's just enough to me, it just looks so much like another another block, another, you know, I can't go there. I can't cross that crazy line kind of thing. Again, I just point to the UFO and nukes thing. The, the concrete evidence is overwhelming. In any other's case, we just say, okay, that's a reality. We don't understand the details of it, but it is a reality that they have come and visited oh, oh, okay, these sites. But, but remember what UFOs are. UFOs are just a generic oh my god no it's just a term for everything we don't know i have seen ufos these things were space they were from space it was wild and even jacques valet you know again going full-blown gnostic and he does say always ignore their ontological reality at your own peril yeah. in other words he's warning people you will go insane if you go yeah if you <clears throat> they are real and they are tangible but that's about it. But the rest is really up to us. 
It's much easier to know what isn't true when it comes to these things. Like we know the official narrative of JFK or right. 9-11 is not true. Okay. But after that, Alex, you can't say it's a clean thing. Everybody agrees. I just had Joseph Farrell on, on 9-11 and, and he's introducing a third layer Ooh. beyond the inside job thing, which also Webster Topley do. So people know, of course we don't do, because we don't know. We know what's not real. The, the sedation they're offering us, that's bullshit. But then the hard work of finding out what is real. And in that area, yes, it's very legitimate to explore all the certain aspects. But I, I don't think it's going to be as simple as, uh, you know, what you did in the beginning of Skeptical, namely immediately revealing exposing the skeptics and their agenda and and for and the way they manipulate data etc yes we can do that in terms of finding out what's not true you did that with the skeptics so yeah that part of reality they try to sell us is bullshit but then finding out what is true you're still on that quest you still even though you explore near-death experience you explore parapsychology you know consciousness is key, but is that a close chapter? Have you figured it out? No, of course not. And I think the same, we are doomed uh, for the same when it comes to UFOs. Okay. Yeah, as they say, also, uh, as uh, experts or scholars say, you know, the best argument's the best argument. Let's say Farrell comes with the best argument for 9-11. And this is like, oh my God, Al's like, this is it. That does not invalidate <laughs> the second best argument or the third best argument right. or the fourth. Those arguments still exist and have to be held up until more data comes in event, you know. So these arguments, uh, there's nothing wrong with four or five strong arguments or even two or two strong arguments and two weak ones. They're, they're all part of the, the they, they matter. They all matter. Yeah, let me, let me say, uh, Miguel, that, you know, that I realized something I forgot to tell my guest yesterday, Mark Gober, we were discussing, uh, the show is going to be called The Case for Liberty. But I forgot to say something that you reminded me of now, and that's the incredible important ability to suspend judgment. It's completely lacking today, especially in America, but the whole culture is, is sick. People don't, uh, don't care about truth, they want to be right. <laughs> Whether they're wrong, even if they're wrong, right? right? But you don't have to make a verdict of everything. You can, if I don't know, I put it on the shelf and I'm either open to it or I wait until uh, I get more data, like you said. That's the best approach. It's not the same as agnosticism because that's agnosticism. If you're agnostic, then you're a chicken. You don't want to relay. You don't want to uh, take any stand. Here we're taking stands where we can take a stand based on experience and data, but some fields are just so huge. Some fields are maybe too huge for a human being to really decode. But we don't have to make up our minds about everything all the time. We can wait and see while we continue to explore it, if you see what I mean. I mean, okay, maybe it's self-evident in this company, but if you look out there, nobody almost is practicing that. Not in this country. It's like you said, it's either or, and you have to yeah. circle your wagons around an issue and reject everything else instead of, uh, again, look at all the arguments and see where they go. I mean, like Tartaria, my gut tells me the Tartaria argument is uh, bunk, but I'm, I'm slowly gathering data. I'm slowly, I'm eventually going to interview somebody on it and I'm open-minded. Who knows? 
Okay, uh, you, no comment from you, Alex. Uh, then I oh. think we're going to wind down this thing. Um, we've been on a journey now, the skeptical journey, and this last segment with Miguel was perfect because it illustrates where skeptical is today. We're on overtime, but just my last question, uh, and then let's say goodnight. Where do you think today, Alex, that skeptical is going? I think, I, I do think that this conversation and my grilling of Miguel. And also, it wasn't just the grilling of Miguel, it was the space that Miguel held during that. Man, that's that to me is the conversation that needs to happen, mm. where someone can, someone can hear and respond and move towards truth, because it's always about truth. Right. Grilling? God, you should marry somebody Hispanic. You don't know grilling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's spoiled. <laughs> he, he's, he married a therapist, goddammit. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, guys, it's been fun. Thank you for, for doing this. It was super fun. And I hope it was uh, entertaining for people and enlightening, notwithstanding. After this, you should definitely have a pretty clear case of what skeptical is. I had fun. It was a blast. Al, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, it's officially over, guys. Goodbye. I got to run to the bathroom and then I got an appointment. I'm already late. Okay. Okay. All right. But thanks again. And Miguel, thank you so much for jumping in here. Oh, anytime, guys. It was a lot of fun. We'll talk soon. Okay, later, guys. See you guys. Bye. Many thanks to all the good people who contributed to the show today. We'll close this session with Alex letting you in on the five essential things you need to know about Skeptical, which is an interesting summary that crystallizes the current version of the show. But first, a quick fact check. I made the statement in part one that Yogananda was also a mason. However, I got my swamis mixed up I was actually referring to Vivekananda. So, now that's clarified, I'll leave the last word to Alex. The five things you need to know about Skeptico. The first thing you should know about Skeptico is that I approach Skeptico as my personal journey towards answering the biggest questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And most importantly, how should I live my life based on those questions? Mainly so that I can keep talking to the people I want to talk to, which of course includes you. And that's also why you'll never see any advertisements on Skeptico. You'll never hear me ask for any donations or anything like that. The show is really about my personal journey. I'm not trying to get anywhere with it. I'm not trying to advance any cause, run for office, create a name for myself or anything else. I just want to do my best to answer these questions and along the way, share my journey with everyone else. The second thing you should know about Skeptico is that the show is about following the data wherever it leads, or at least it started out that way. But let me digress into that for a minute. 
The point I wanted to make here is that when I started out, I had this idea that if I wanted to find out about this stuff, even this really big stuff, like questions about who am I, that I could just go out and find the data. I could go talk to the very best experts. I could go then talk to critics of those experts and then critics of those critics. I could follow the data wherever it led and I would get to some sort of answer. And to a certain extent that works. But I have to tell you that in the process of doing that, following the data wherever it leads, I came to the realization that it's not just about the data. It's about all the other stuff. And this has turned out to be a really important part of my little skeptico journey here because it opened me up to two things. One, that people can have worldview differences that dramatically alter their ability to objectively look at data. And number two, it pushed me beyond that to then ask the question of whether or not that process of worldview formation is always under our control or whether there are other influencers that are trying to manipulate our worldview. It's a topic that I've returned to several times because it does seem to keep popping up. So this idea that it's not just about the data, it's about all the other stuff has been a reoccurring theme on Skeptico. So I don't know, what do you want to call that? Misrepresentation? Uh, misremembering? Lie? I don't know what kind of words you want to throw at it, but it's stunning, but it would be more stunning if it hasn't happened over and over and over again on this show. And we have countless examples, and all you have to do is go through the archives and listen to Richard Wiseman and listen to Ray Hyman and listen even to Steven Novella, listen to James Randi. All I mean, it's a consistent pattern. We can't even call Ben out for being especially over the top in terms of misreporting this stuff. It has to do with the bias, the worldview. It clouds their vision and they're just like the fanatical conservative religious folks that they so despise that can't get past the obvious problems in their logic. It's the same situation repeated over and over again. I started out with the idea of following the data wherever it leads and was smacked in the face by the realization that it's not about the data. It's about all this other stuff that causes people to have entrenched worldviews, entrenched belief systems, and then fight and resist any change or any challenge to those. So I guess that rolls right into point three of what you should know about Skeptico. And that is that what I'm really about is getting past these stuck on stupid debates, as I call them. And that I've found turns out to be pretty hard to do because we are surrounded by and enmeshed in a lot of stuck on stupid debates. One example of this that we've spent a good deal of time talking about on this show, because in various forms it seemed to keep popping up again and again, is the do Christians, or substitute any religion you like in there, know the true path to God, or are atheists right? So there's a good stuck on stupid debate for you. And I say that because as far as I can tell, both sides have some pretty darn stupid arguments. These did Noah use nails in the ark debate are the kind of debates I don't want to have. I mean, I guess there are some real archaeological questions there, and I want to be open to hearing some of that stuff, but it's pretty much in the shallow end of the pool when it comes to these who am I questions. Because to really understand why I think this is a stuck on stupid debate, we have to look at the other side of the table who's sitting across from us, and that is the atheist 
who's built his house on a very sandy foundation, and that is the belief that consciousness, that is the sum total of your human experience, consciousness is an illusion created by a biological robot. You, of course, being that biological robot. Now, this statement, which I've often repeated on Skeptico, but let me break it down for you because it's really a mashup of two of the most popular atheist thinkers of our time. That is philosopher Dr. Daniel Dennett, who famously said consciousness is an illusion, and Dr. Richard Dawkins, who of course said that humans are biological robots. Now, we've explored at great length on Skeptico how atheists often like to run from these philosophical underpinnings that prop up atheism, just like Christians like to run from the literal Noah's Ark thing. But I would suggest to you this ambivalence, this not knowing whether I should embrace the core beliefs of my group, in this case, embrace consciousness as an illusion created by biological robots, or whether I should run from it, is really at the core of these stuck-on-stupid debates, because I think it demonstrates the cognitive dissonance that we go through when we're drawn into these kind of debates that crop up all the time on Skeptico. When it comes to near-death experience science, suggesting that there's some deep brain activity that's undetectable by EEG that could explain the complex, deep, hyper-lucid experiences that people are having where they're seeing things outside of their body in other rooms while their eyes are closed and covered. Now, to suggest that is to say that everything we know about how the brain works is wrong, using some did Noah's Ark have nails logic. Because, hey, we don't have a model for the brain that explains how you can see with your eyes closed, or about how you can hear conversations in the hallway three floors down while you're on a gurney being resuscitated. Heck, we don't even have a model for how you can be having these experiences and not have an EEG going off like crazy. So to suggest that, oh, don't worry, boys, we'll figure all this out eventually and not sound some sort of alarm based on the data that does, except that near-death experiences are happening and that they are happening during a time when the EEG is flat. So not to announce that as some kind of enormous mystery that requires our immediate and serious attention and instead to shift the focus on these deep brain probes is a did Noah's Ark have nails moment. It's shifting the focus away from a topic that you don't feel really comfortable addressing so that you can kind of grind on something that's really pretty meaningless. And that leads me into point four of things you should know about Skeptico. And that is that if Skeptico is about moving past these stuck on stupid debates, these did Noah's Ark have nails kind of debates, then what kind of dialogues am I looking to have? Well, one of the things that really drives me, motivates me, excites me is all the interesting questions that lie beyond these debates. And there are so many of them, and I want to get to them. I'm less interested in whether or not Sam Parnia's new AWARE study will win over some of the atheist skeptics who are still on the fence about the reality of near-death experience. What I'm interested in is comparing near-death experiences with other experiences with extended human consciousness, whether they be a DMT-induced hallucination or a Kundalini experience or a UFO encounter. That's the kind of question that lies beyond the whole consciousness is an illusion of a biological robot stupid stuff. 
Now, to get to that next level kind of discussion, I'm going to have to circle back from time to time to revisit my assumptions. And I have to be aware and honest about the fact that consciousness is an illusion of a biological robot thing I'm talking about happens to be the dominant scientific paradigm. So we can't pretend it doesn't cast a huge shadow on any serious scientific conversation we might have. I don't want to pretend that's not true. And similarly, I want to be real about our culture's Judeo-Christian roots. And now that can cast a shadow on all conversations we might have about the spiritual implications we might discover when we go beyond this extended human consciousness. So I'm going to need to circle back and re-examine some of our spiritual traditions and religious traditions from time to time as well, and I'm sure I'll do that in future shows. And then finally on this point, I think I also have to be realistic and accept that this path that I'm on is not going to be wildly popular. And most folks have a worldview belief system that's dominated either by this scientific, materialistic, neo-Darwinism, atheism kind of thinking, or this true believer religious status quo kind of track. And since I've come to believe and understand that both are based on some pretty crippling assumptions, I got to accept that at best, people are going to probably be confused about where I stand or, and this seems to happen a lot, as you know, darn right hostile to me trampling all over their sacred cherished beliefs about science and or spirituality. And that brings me to the fifth and final point that you should know about the Skeptico show. And that is that the reason I do Skeptico is so that I can connect with you so that I can create this community with other people who share my beliefs and interests and desire to kind of figure out these problems. It's going to take a village for me to figure out who I really am. And that's why at various times in the Skeptico show, I've tried to engage with other people to either come on and guest host with me or participate in other ways in the show or get involved with various projects. I like that. I think that community building is a part of not just the Skeptico show, but part of my path and what I want to do on this journey. Well, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this stroll down memory lane. Thanks for staying with us. I've been your host, Ah. Thanks to my team and your support. Be seeing you. Number one.